Hi, this is Tawny from the Dirty Bits Podcast, and you're listening to Concession Stand on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. You're listening to the Concession Stand Podcast on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. From movies and TV to consoles and video games, don't let your geek flag fly with your hosts, Nick Howe and Andy Nelson. Welcome back to the concession stand. This is episode number 47. I am your host, Nick Howell. Sitting across from me, Mr. Andy Nelson. How are you, sir? I am really good. Let's go ahead and crack a beer and get right into it. Well, hello, listeners. Welcome back to the concession stand. I hope you're enjoying a beer with us. Let's talk about movie scores. Are we seeing a changing of the guard, so to speak, in movie scores? Now, we're both fans of this stuff but we we come from the world of like there's old reliables in this movie score business the people that have done all the great ones in our lifetime john williams is the king and there's danny elfman and there's howard shore and there's alan silvestri and all of these great movie scores and themes that we'll remember for the rest of our lives and that have will transcend the test of time yes are we seeing a changing of the guard though as these gentlemen get a little bit older what do you think? Well, I think we need first we need to take a step back and qualify our positions and our opinions on this. Okay, what do you mean by that? You and I are both very proud band geeks with strong musical backgrounds. Like, yes. I can remember a time when I was in the sixth grade hauling my trombone back and forth to school on the bus. Yeah, but that doesn't mean like you stopped playing music in sixth grade. Like you carried this on oh, yeah. for years uh, and years. Uh, marching and years band and years. in high school and college, yes. and I marched in Bill Clinton's inaugural parade in nineteen ninety six. There you go. I you was know? also in a marching band as well. I was a percussion player. I can play all the percussion instruments. I'm a self taught piano player. Uh, I'm a music guy. I love music, and of course, I love movies. So I love the music of movies. There it is. We know what we're talking about when it comes to this stuff. We even take it one step further. You and your friend Brad used to do something pretty special. Yeah, we used to like trade mixtapes back when their cassette tape existed. Yeah. Uh, listeners, if you're younger, you probably don't know what that is. Well, most people would make mixtapes for like a girlfriend of love songs or something like that. But you guys did like you cut up different tracks from original soundtracks. <laughs> pretty and- much. So, yeah, we used to collect all of these different soundtracks from CDs and we would we would take specific tracks from movies from the 90s and like here's all the things that we like here's the one from Hook and here's the one from Batman Returns and here's the thing from Cliffhanger and like all of these things and then we were like line them all up and it was a 90 minute like you had flip it over you had 45 minutes on one side and 45 minutes on the other right. side we spent a lot of time on this and my dad <laughs> liked them and like he would copy them yeah we're big into movie scores and I know you are as well yes well I didn't take it that far I was I was too into girls in the 90s to be doing stuff like that but anyway I, I digress I, I, I was and I, I, I liked movie music. <laughs> okay. So, yes, we are massive fans of film scores, but um, there's something that has kind of stuck in our craw lately or something we want to explore in this episode. And it's just the recent films haven't really hit home with us as far as music scores go. And that's something we want to explore with you guys today is we're, we're both 40-year-old man children that love movies and love music scores, but what is it about the recent films that aren't hitting home for us. Well, let's take a step back and talk about the history. So we grew up, uh, what we would argue is the golden age of film scores. We grew up with all of the John Williams scores, not just Star Wars, not just Indiana Jones, Superman, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Jaws, and then it's not just him. And then when we got into high school, Danny Elfman came out with the Batman score, which is 
the one of the most famous things ever, the Alan Silvestri uh, Back to the Future score, like all of these these things, like these are indelible themes that are just stuck in your head even if it's not us like kids that watch it now my children listen to these themes and they hear them and they know them people know the star wars theme people know the indiana jones theme people know all of these themes that we just talked about here's the problem i don't feel like those themes are happening now and maybe i'm wrong and that's what we're going to discuss today is it a difference of you connecting with the films or the themes of those films or is it the the pragmatic fact that there aren't that you don't think that there's themes in films anymore i can't say that per se i guess what i'll say is there was a time in my life when i had much more disposable not disposable income but more disposable time right and i would listen to these scores after seeing these movies and i would go buy them and listen to them again and again and again when i didn't have the ability to watch a movie on my phone i would just be uh, mowing the lawn and listening to a cassette tape of the Terminator 2 score by Brad Feidel or listening to the cliffhanger score by Trevor Jones or what you know what I'm saying yep. like it was it was whatever it was and that was what I did and yes I was a super geek for doing so but again I don't feel like today I can go download an iTunes score of something and have that same feeling of I know the theme for this movie and and get to take it with me, so to speak. Well, there's one other thing I want to explore here that we didn't actually write down before we when we did the rundown, but there's a business side of this as well. I don't think that soundtracks are being marketed to people like they used to because there was a time when they would do the trailer and then they would say, go buy the original soundtrack on CD for $9.99 or whatever it was. And you could hear it. $14.99 at the time, if I remember. Oh, right. You could hear it before you went to see the movie. So when you got to the movie, you were familiar with the music that was in it. So is that's something that's changed. All right. I'll give you a perfect example of that. There's yeah. two. I'll give, I'll give you two examples of this. So when I was a kid, my dad had the double LP of the Star Wars soundtrack what? on record. What does he still on, have that? I, I, I have it actually in my garage. I actually have <sighs> That's the original. Worth some money. It's awesome. It's got really cool liner <laughs> notes and all that stuff. Right. I used to play that and listen to the entire Star Wars soundtrack like on repeat, yes. which wasn't possible on a record. <laughs> right. You would have to take the needle and go back. This is all like old school stuff, right? right. Then the other thing was when I got my first CD player in 1989, I uh, I got the Batman CD, and I thought it was going to be the Danny Elfman thing. No, it was the 10-song Prince thing. Remember Prince yes. did all the songs for Batman, like Bat Dance and Scandalous, and none of these songs were actually in the movie, but he did like a 10-song a something. Yeah. And the whole time that I listened to that, I was like, oh, this is great, but I really wish I had the... I wish I had that. And it was only a couple years later that they released the Batman score. So what you're saying is right. While they don't necessarily market the orchestral scores, they marketed the soundtracks back at that time. Like a movie like, say, like Top Gun, right? Those songs were written like Highway to the Danger Zone or whatever. Kenny so, Logan's. Like or, or Dirty Dancing. All that entire yeah. movie was based on the songs that were that were in that movie. And we're gonna get into that a little bit later, but there was not a market at the time, so the music industry thought, for people just listening to the orchestra music from a movie. And here we are now, wanting to get more of that, which we have full access to, but it's not that same emotional attachment that we had back then maybe we'll yeah. see right well as we go down as we were talking about this earlier we brought up something that we identified as the tarantino effect and this was something that was somewhat new and not really i mean they used it in some of the the western stuff and whatnot in the 60s and 70s started using like pop popular songs pop songs in films sure 
But Tarantino really took it to another level by in the 90s when he was doing his film. Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction are the two that pop into mind, but he's sure. continued to do this over time. He would find these you know, obscure or maybe not known to the average moviegoer songs yeah. and make them a part of the thematic experience uh, in, a, in a film. And they were old, very known, very popular songs in their you know, eclectic obscurity, but, but as 18 year old college kids, right. I wouldn't have been able to know stuck in the middle with you when your Lou and sure, Pulp Fiction, right? sure. Like any of those, those songs that, that you discovered because it was on a Tarantino soundtrack. Like you immediately went out after you saw Pulp Fiction was like the greatest movie I'd ever seen when I was 18 years old. And then I was like, I want to go buy the soundtrack to that and hear all those songs. And, um, um, trying to think of some of the ones that were on it. Um, uh, uh, lonesome, uh, there, there was a Ricky Nelson song on it. There was a misery loose song. Like that, you wanted to have that to, to again, elicit that same emotion that you saw in the movie. Like you would go buy the star Wars soundtrack. Right. Right. But it was that. So I think overall, as we talk about what we experienced as up and comers in watching movies as kids or in those formative years, is there was a there was an overall theme that we would we, we would hear a song or a theme piece of music that would connect you to a film, right? So if the minute you like you just were you were just chanting the or singing humming along the Miserlou song, right? I immediately identify that as Pulp Fiction. Sure, I, I had to go look up what the actual name of that track was earlier when we were doing the rundown. Admittedly, full disclosure, yeah, because I had forgotten because I just all I do is associate that with Pulp Fiction now. I don't even think about anything else, and I think there's a, a hundred examples that we could come up with sure. of pop songs uh, that were reused in films. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is probably the most recent example of, Perfect of example that. Perfect example of that. So, and we'll—I I think we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But yeah, that's kind of where we're at. I, I, or I don't think we, as in this, the demographic that we preside in at currently, are getting that same kind of connective tissue when we go see films. I guess what we want is I want to walk out of a movie. And and be able to go. I want to be able to do that. I want to have like a theme that like resonates with me. I've I've said for years that John Williams wrote the soundtrack to my life because uh, if I hear certain pieces of music by him, uh, it reminds me of certain times or it brings a certain emotion that reminds me of certain characters. Right. Right. And that's what movie music to me is supposed to do. Um, You can't see Batman without thinking of Danny Elfman. However, Hans Zimmer, who's done all of the Nolan trilogy stuff, has given you a different version. So there's certain generations that will see Batman and see him this way. And there's certain generations that will see Batman and see him in the Danny Elfman version, like we just talked about. Well, with that in mind, since you brought up the the Nolan version of Batman, what are some of the modern scores currently or over the last 15 to 20 years? Because there's 2017. Let's start at 2000 looking forward. What sure. are some of the modern scores that have actual themes because like, the, what we're positing here is that we're not connecting with them or are they even there so are there modern films that have themes like we used to? so is it a theme or is it an iconic like legendary that is maybe. the theme maybe that's it because there are themes in every movie in every movie score but there aren't star wars themes there aren't danny elfman batman themes there aren't uh back to the future themes but if okay to answer your question what themes can i remember from recent memory yeah Definitely Giacchino's Star Trek. Okay. Uh, right? Okay. Yep. I remember that. I remember Incredibles. That's another Giacchino thing. I remember um, Pirates of the Caribbean, yep. uh, the Hans Zimmer stuff, and that's a whole other conversation about that guy who's sort, of, <laughs> who's sort of the new modern, but not quite the modern because he was from that time as well. Um, what about you? 
Uh, for me, there's definitely uh, Pirates is definitely one. Yep. Uh, Hans Zimmer's Dark Knight. Sure. As simple as it is. Sure. Just that. Just that. Yeah. And the double French horn thing. Yeah. Two notes, right? Everybody, as as soon as you hear that, yeah, yeah, it's Christian Bale Batman. There's another guy that did two notes. You remember him? Uh, Jaws. Yeah. That 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 one guy. Yeah. Uh. Game of Thrones is probably the one that oh, sticks out to me as point. having yeah. the most popular and iconic theme done by um, Ramin Djawadi. Yeah, and Lord, I, of the, Lord of the Rings is since two thousand. I mean, the first yeah, one came out of what ninety nine or two thousand or something like that. Yeah, sure, you could say Lord of the Rings, and that's a very iconic theme. That's very. a huge orchestral sweeping score that you know will stand the test of time as well. Yep. And I hate that I missed Howard Shore. He did go around and perform those for a number of years. Oh, I missed that too. Uh, and I'm I'm sure he was here at Hollywood Bowl. I, I I know he did a lot in England, but I hate that I missed that one. All right. So before we get too far off track, if we're trying to say that there's no memorable themes anymore anymore, but we just gave examples of memorable themes, are 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 there no real themes anymore? Or are we just being old men and just get a hashtag get off my lawn? Because if you look at Iron Man, if you look at all the movies we just rattled off, some of the Avengers stuff definitely has consistent themes throughout their entire catalog there's themes there but you're saying we're not walking out of the movie theater going oh my god i have to go get that soundtrack i mean i've done that a couple times i did that with with pirates i did that with star trek like i said i did that with incredibles like i said but i mean those movies are over 10 years old now yeah but i mean they we just had a pirates movie this year and it had the exact same theme in it. yeah sure and we just had a star wars we had the force awakens a couple years ago and had the star wars theme to start with but then they added ray's theme that was good and uh i i don't know that's a really good question how dare you question the john williams that guy um all right, so let's look about let's look at a different angle of this then. Okay, so if we're talking about memorable themes and we talk about the modern music, so music has changed. It's not all orchestral and anymore. And it should. I mean, we're 30, 40 years removed from Star Wars sure. and Superman and those classic Williams themes. I mean, Batman is going to be the Danny Elfman Batman is going to be 30 years old in 2 years. Yeah. Well, even as recently the Lord of the Rings, Howard Shore did that with the London yeah, Philharmonic. That's, that's almost twenty years old. The, the two thousand eight. Like no, 10 the years first, old. the first Lord oh, of the, the Rings first one, sure. was two thousand, and, and that Lord of the Rings theme, which carried out throughout the whole thing, is twenty years old almost. Oh, God. All right, so <laughs> I know I just had a little <laughs> we're, I'm old. Jesus Christ! Yeah, we're getting old. All right, so talking about that with modern digital synth. EDM, those kinds of things are kind of making more pervasive moves into modern cinema scores and soundtracks as, you know, EDM music becomes more popular, as it becomes more accessible to create these kinds of things. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, I can't watch a trailer without a bass drop in it anymore. Let's be clear about that. So the whole EDM thing that you're talking about yeah. is the combination of orchestral score with electronic music as well, yeah. right? And it's it's sort of a marrying of the two worlds. What they've done is they've brought over some heroes from that world, like uh, Trent Reznor doing the uh, the Social Network score, and yeah. he did another one too. Um, you bring over Daft Punk to do uh, the Tron score when they did the Tron Legacy movie, which is amazing, amazing by the way. Soundtrack. But that's not like a thing that you like can go out and hum, but it creates this like ethereal like mood and tone, yep. which is what music is supposed to do, I guess, right? Yeah. But we're sort of like we're trying to like we want the next star wars theme we want the next this and maybe we need to adjust ourselves to what you're talking about this sort of like changing of the guard this addition of 
digital music to orchestral music. And I'm sort of uncomfortable with it, but I'm also kind of cool with it at the same time. You mentioned uh, the Game of Thrones guy. Yeah. Uh, Ramin Jawadi. So take one of his scores, like the Iron Man score. I think you mentioned that. Yeah. He does a combination of orchestra, uh, orchestra and like almost like a rock band yeah. in a way. So like the Iron Man score has like a drum set. And uh, I think he did the uh, Pacific Rim score that has like yeah. Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine was like played the guitar on that. It's a very prominent instrument in that score. Uh, Junkie XL did stuff for Batman v Superman. I mean, there's a there's a marrying of these two worlds that's happening and uh, it's not thematic like we grew up with, but it's still kind of good, I guess, right? It is, and I want to throw in another little wild card here, video games. Yeah. Video game scores, and it's it's a weird thing because none of the major mainstream like A-list composers, orchestral composers of film scores have really ever done video game stuff, but you have these other guys, Russell Brower for Blizzard, sure. did all of the Warcraft and Starcraft and all of their stuff. Bear McCreary started over there. Bear McCreary started Michael in Giacchino Michael started Giacchino. In, in, in video games, did the Medal of Honor games. Uh, you remember the Halo themes of Martin O'Donnell sure. and those guys, right, that, that worked with Microsoft. So, I mean, there is a whole world out there of scoring that is more modern than the stable of people that we revere as, as 40-year-old men. So where are these guys going to go next? What is it that you and I are missing out on and potentially other filmmakers in our demo that are missing out on that are not where they're not connecting with these modern films this way. And what's changed? What's different? I think there's another thing that we probably should bring up is the fact that recently, if you think of themes, like let's let's take Disney movies. And yeah. you haven't seen the Disney movies as much as I have as a father. Oh, I have seen them. But I just Frozen, don't talk about it out sure. loud because I'm a single bachelor guy. <laughs> like Frozen was like like was was a game changer. What am it, I going to say? I'm sitting at home watching Frozen yeah, on a Friday night. Yeah, really? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Hey, you want to play Destiny? No, I got to watch Frozen. Yeah, right. Gonna, uh, for the fourth time, I love that part where yeah, that was the, that movie. You know, uh, uh, Tangled, um, Beauty and the Beast, even back in the '90s, and and Little Mermaid, and like all of these movies had. They didn't have orchestral themes, but they had songs and. Whether or not you heard the words for the songs, if I was to say, doo, 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 you would know that's Beauty and the Beast, Correct. right? It's that. So Disney did, the, did this thing where they have the song thing, which they've always had in their in their movies, but that's their new style with their animated stuff is to create the theme that's not necessarily orchestral, but with a song. It's, it reminds me more of commercial jingles that are memorable in a sense where you remember... Sure. You know, all the uh, whether it's Bud Light or whether it's all these different commercials, yeah. right? That you can remember the lyrics for somehow it sticks in your mind. Like you remember the Let It Go song from Frozen. Or, yeah. And you know, why do you remember that? Because you bring in the Avenue Q guys yes. to write the entire song library for that. Or even uh, 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 Moana. You bring in Lin Manuel Miranda, the Hamilton Alexander guy. Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or you mentioned Alan Menken did uh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, so, and he did Tangled. You know, it's Tangled, like you, yep. you go with what you know, go with what works. It's just the same as somebody bringing in John Williams <laughs> to write a score now. I just thought of one that we have to mention. Okay, so South Park. Oh, yeah. South Park, guys. Trey and Matt Parker even wrote a song that was nominated for an Academy Award. Yes, sir, it was. Blame Canada, yep. right? Who doesn't remember? Blame Canada, blame Canada. With all your hockey, Hubba Blue, and right. that bitch and Murray too. Yeah, so that is. I think you're onto something there. There's a difference between scores, orchestral scores, and soundtracks or songs that are a part of soundtracks. And I think the difference there from like our formidable years were pop songs being used versus Broadway phenomenons being used to create new original songs. 
specifically for those soundtracks. I think they're kind of the same thing. It's just a different set of people where it's it was pop artists originally, like Kenny Loggins for Top Gun, like we talked about, or uh, Prince doing the stuff for, for Batman. Sure. Now it's these Broadway troops that are creating these memorable jingles that are part of these fantastic... Why is it special to Disney movies, though, is the question I come back to. Okay, I'll, t- I'll, I'll give you this, and I just thought of this. Yeah. There's, there's one that actually combines two of them. So there's one that has an amazing orchestral score that makes you think of Back to the Future. But you also hear Power of Love. That's the power of love. And that's American a Huey Psycho? Lewis song. No, that's no, okay. yeah. But that's a Huey Lewis song. So if you think of Power of Love, and if you think that that actually has two songs, orchestral and soundtrack, that actually if you hear those like two bars of any either of those pieces of music, you immediately think of Back to the Future. I can't hear Huey Lewis in the news without thinking of American Psycho. So okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I think they hit their stride in sports. I thought it was uh, No Jacker Required or something <laughs> in that movie. I, no. <laughs> <laughs> the one last point I want to make here is that we're, we've kind of re-entered this. I, I was talking about the Tarantino effect earlier, and recently we've seen several films, Baby Driver, Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. and its sequel, really start to use these mashup soundtracks of pop, cult pop hits. Yep. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously, James Gunn is on record saying that they built the films around the songs that they wanted to use. And Baby Driver is Edgar Wright, and he's very kind of notorious for his films using cult pop hits songs as part of the soundtrack. So, But then in that movie, he cut the movie to that, like yes. literally punch hits, and that's where we're starting to see that in trailers, like the Punisher trailer we talked about last week. With Metallica yeah. one, right? Oh. I mean, Oh, is it just with the gunfire going to the drum beats of Metallica? So whether oh. or not well, these these uh, revered legendary composers are writing pieces of music either for a trailer or for a movie, you can take a piece of music, right, yep. and maybe get the same audience response that you want. I, I, is that what we're getting at here? I think the ultimate goal of this is that music is used to tell a story and elicit emotion out of you. Like you talked about in the beginning. Walking out of a movie theater, going, "Oh my god!" Just humming that song, <laughs> right? Right. Not maybe not remembering so much what the movie was out or a certain scene or something. Yeah. But you remember the 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 jingle, the thematic part of it, right? You're humming that as you go out the door. I think that's happening to an extent with some of the bigger films we mentioned before. But I think more and more music has stopped being thematic jingles that remind you and more used to tell a story alongside a script and alongside a cinematic experience as opposed to that commercial use. Do you also, okay, let's take a step. Is there also like forgettable music? And by that, I mean, there was music in John Wick. There was music in Wolverine, or I'm sorry, in Logan, but it was it was more like percussive, like do 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 do, like the, the action's happening, and, and like you're not gonna be like, oh my god, that that movie was awesome. I got to go rush out and buy the soundtrack because of. That's not right. to take anything away from the guys that are doing those scores because they're good and they also help tell the story and they also create that emotion. But it's not as featured, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Right? No, I think you did and a better and job. That's, of, and that's up to the director, really, more than anything. Totally. Else. And I think you did a better job there of explaining my point, was, oh, okay. which was you know it's used as a part of telling the story along with the cinematography, along with the script, along with the acting, along with the directing. It's there as an additional layer of that waveform that just got it, you know, of the through line. So it's not necessarily something that stands on its own, but it's, it's an actual cohesive part of the filmmaking experience or film viewing experience. 
And it's, you know, music has a narrative. It's a necessary tool. One of the best examples of this uh, we watched recently was the Star Wars No Music, the end of yeah, the episode throne, four. Yeah, the throne room scene, which yeah. which I used for my wedding reception, by the way. <laughs> you were there, you remember? Like yes. when my wife and I were introduced at the wedding reception, uh, we came out to the the Star Wars throne room thing. Right. Yeah, you're right. If you get a chance... Somewhere in the distance, a Wookiee screamed. Yeah, if you get a chance, listeners, just go to YouTube and type in Throne Room, Star Wars Throne Room, no music. And you can watch what they did and how music affects everything in a movie. You can watch that whole scene where they walk down and they get the medals and R2 gets all happy and 3PO is okay. Chewie yells. Yeah, and they. but that, that is a perfect example. If you take anything out of this discussion... Go watch that, and you'll understand what we're talking about. Well, let's let's kind of wrap this up by talking about who are our current up-and-comers, who are our current stable of composers and sound tr- and musicians, et cetera, that are doing all of the work in Hollywood. Because there's we're, we are kind of seeing that changing of the guard you mentioned at the beginning, where we'll, it's still a lot of Williams and Zimmer and and Howard and those guys, and even Sylvester is still doing stuff. Sure. Uh, but it's, their time's going to come. You know, Williams is like 90 years old. Yeah, right? almost. Um, and he said he had to go do Daisy Ridley's Ray's theme. That was yeah. really the only reason he kept going, right? It sounded like he was basically retired. And he's like, no, no, no. Nobody else is doing episode eight. I'm right. doing it. <laughs> so if we look at, let, let's pick three that are that are kind of standouts for us and, and why. And, and talk about the differences between that st- the old stable versus these new guys and why they're standing out. I think we've mentioned the three names in this discussion. Yeah. The heir apparent to John Williams, the thematic, the guy who's writing motifs and doing it that way, basically is Michael Giacchino. He did Rogue One, and whether or not you like that score or not, he did stuff in that that basically was an, was an homage to what Williams had done without yes. actually stealing themes from him. He made sort of nods to it. Um, he created that new Star Trek theme that has that like emotional attachment to it. He's done all the stuff with the Pixar thing. Here's the thing about that guy. Um, from a, I know a guy that actually knows him very well and did a. He wants to be a director. He doesn't want to do movie music anymore. Really? He doesn't want to, but he's so good at it that all the studios are like, please, you know, yeah. like bro, he wasn't even supposed to do Rogue One. We've talked about this. Alexander Desplat was supposed to do that, right? And it didn't work. And they're like, oh, Chiquito, come in and do it. He wrote the Rogue One score in four weeks. <laughs> It was just basically a lot of the motifs of Williams's music in like different keys. But and still, shit. writing a yeah. writing a writing a two hour movie score in two in four weeks that's amazing. It is amazing. Uh, the other one that I called out earlier, Ramin Jawadi. Yes, uh, you have to call out going back to Iron Man. It definitely has a theme to it that you'll recognize immediately. If we played it right now, you all you would think about is Robert Downey Jr. getting into his <laughs> Iron Man suit and right. Yeah. Uh, I, Pacific Rim definitely has some cool thematic elements to yep, it. That's yep. that's Jawadi, and and of course Game of Thrones for the last eight years. Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, Peter Peter <laughs> Dinklage. Uh, lastly, Bear McCreary. Yes, uh, is probably one of those that most people might not have heard that name before, but they're definitely going to recognize what he worked on. Battlestar Galactica might be one of the biggest series of all time sure uh and he did the music for that which was extremely memorable there are certain themes in that that you hear uh that you will definitely re- uh, identify it as battlestar walking dead is probably the other biggest one that, sure. that he's known for what are some of the other stuff that you can he's think of? he's starting to get into the film scores i think he did 10 cloverfield lane yeah so i want to see more of what he's he's going to do in the film score world the sky's the limit for these guys, and there's definitely a passing of the torch that's going to happen because all of these guys that we hold in such high regard are eventually going to pass on. And th- 
hopefully all of these errors apparent, if you will, will will carry that torch and run with it. But we've just said as well, uh, maybe the industry itself and the type of music we're hearing in movies might be changing as well. So at the end of the day, no matter what, the music that these people write, whether it's electronic, whether it's orchestral, whether it's taking a song from an old thing, somebody wrote that song. There, it has to elicit the emotion and create that feeling that we have so we can continue to enjoy movies the way that we do. Well, Andy, I want to give you a homework assignment, and I want you to give me one as well. What? I haven't had homework in 20 years. That's not true. You've got two kids, so you've probably had homework. Fair enough. Right. Uh, I want you to listen to a, a film score that I think you may have overlooked that I really love. Okay. That is the... You may remember the, the movie Oblivion with course, Tom Cruise? Of course. Right? Loved it. It had a fantastic kind of electronic digital soundtrack by M83. Okay. And I think you would really enjoy that one. So that's going to be my homework assignment to you. All right. I will throw one right back at you. I mentioned it earlier, uh, flippantly. Uh, Cliffhanger by Trevor Jones. Remember Ooh. Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone and he was like a rock climber guy? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that That's a really good score. I, I was in that movie. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So, Trevor, what did you say his name was? Trevor Jones. Trevor Jones, okay. Trevor Jones, cliffhanger. All right, so extra credit for listeners. Yes. Let's, let's do this. What scores have we not listened to? Throw us a mention out on Twitter at concession stand or send us an email to cs at orbitaljigsaw.com. Let us know what scores that we may not have mentioned or movie soundtracks that we may not have mentioned that you think we should listen to, and maybe we'll give you a shout-out here on the show. Absolutely. Nick? How was your week? It was interesting. You know, I watched a couple of new TV shows. We're, we're in October at this point. We've got fall TV upon us, Gotham and Humans. A lot of the comic book TV shows are starting to fire back up. So, Which we love. Which we love, and I'm very excited about. However, I uh, decided to give Inhumans an honest shot. And I have to say, man, it's rough. Ramsey Bolton does a fantastic job, <laughs> as he normally does, being his brooding self. But it's just it's it's very weak. It's it's uh, I don't see it making it past season one. I I never I never like I saw those trailers and I, I never wanted to watch it. Never interested me at all. I mean the time warping bulldog thing kind of t- hits home because I've got a bulldog. But yep. I don't. Is that rooted in comic book lore somewhere? That storyline? Maybe I don't know. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, other than that, I also watched the Orville, uh, Seth MacFarlane's new project. Yep, uh, kind of loosely based on Star Trek, I suppose. It's fun. It's it's not anything special or memorable that I'm gonna go goo goo and gush about, but it's it's fun. It's Seth MacFarlane being kind of live action Family Guy in a weird way. Yeah, I watched it as well. I watched the first uh, first episode. I, I didn't make it through the second because I fell asleep. Not because the show was bad, just because I was sick all weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, I expected it to be like a Galaxy Quest kind of like yeah. TV show kind of thing. And it, for what it is, it holds up to that. And if you just want to watch like 45 minutes of, you know, without commercial breaks of, of that kind of style, it worked for me. And I, I laughed a bunch and it was it was fine. I The critics hate it, but I didn't think it was that bad. I, I didn't either. And, you know, if full disclosure here, if I'm being completely honest, I mean, it, it's got Tyra from Friday Night Lights in it. Okay. Uh, Adrian Pilecki uh, sure. is her name. Hashtag Texas forever. 
The other thing I want to mention here is uh, our merchandise store is online. Now, so you can now oh, yeah. buy concession stand, T-shirts, coffee mugs, stickers. Our little orange popcorn man that we've had for over a year now is uh, is our guy. So if you want us want some merch on that, we've got phone cases, notebooks, all kinds of stuff. I bought my daughter a notebook so Did she you? could take it to school. Nice. People could ask her what's going on. Fantastic. Fantastic. So definitely check that out. You can go to orbitaljigsaw.com slash store or just go to the website and click on the store link up top and uh, find all the sweet swag, not only from our show, but from all of our other shows that are part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network as well. We have one massive store for you guys there. Yes. Lastly, I wanted to bring up, uh, since it is October and we're Mm. getting into Halloween month, Oh boy! uh, one of my favorite, you call them rom-zom-coms. Rom-zom-coms. Yeah, romantic comedies. Oh, zombies. Okay. All right. You lost me there. Okay, good, good. Shaun of the Dead. Oh, yes. One of my Everybody remembers Liz, who was uh, Simon Pegg's girlfriend in uh, in Shaun of the Dead, played by Kate Ashfield. Yep. Uh, she was interviewed by our fellow pod brothers on the Orbital Jigsaw Network, the Super Nerds UK. So their episode is currently live. They have a great interview with Kate uh, on there, and it's fantastic. They also got some fancy new mics. Oh, So those guys uh, are sounding a lot better these days. Uh, so definitely give uh, Super Nerds UK another shot if you have in the past. They sounded great even without the mics, but with the new mics, it's going to be even better. Um, oh, so, uh, I watched Orville as well, like I said. The other thing I watched, kind of like along the same lines, I actually watched Star Trek Discovery. Mm. Um, and I know you don't have the CBS I, I app. haven't gotten the access thing yet, so what is it, 8 bucks or something I have uh, to do to watch it's it? seven ninety nine, but nine ninety nine if you don't want to pay for commercials, which I know you don't like to do. Yeah. So well worth yeah, it. I watched, are they all available immediately, or do no, you have to? No, it's it's okay. a weekly thing. So they I, apparently the first episode was actually on CBS, um, but uh, I didn't watch it live when it happened, and we watched the first two. It's good. It's really good. Is and, it and, okay? And it's it takes place before the Star Trek with uh, with with Shatner and all those guys. So, but they have all the same like archetypes. But what the, what it's not, it's not like this, the original Star Trek was like a one and done, like each episode was like a standalone. This has sort of like a um, continuing thing. So More like serialized. When, they, when this, yeah, exactly. So when this episode ends, you want to watch the next one, you want to watch the next one. So you've got like the whole waiting for things. Binge-worthy um, kind of thing. Uh, production value, amazing. They have, like I said, all the same archetypes. So there's like aliens and there's a science officer and there's this person. And yeah, it's Michelle Yeoh's in it. Oh, nice. Um, so... Um, it, it's definitely worth a look. I, I can't say bad things or good things about it just yet, but I, I am going to keep watching it for sure. Okay. Here's the other thing. So this Friday, October 6th, a mercy Christmas, my brother's movie. Uh, do you remember? We've talked about it a number of, of times on this show. Uh, they've gotten a video distribution deal, so it'll be available to all of you to watch in late November. I can't wait for you to see that they are actually opening the LA shriek fest. It's like a, it's a film festival for horror movies. It's going to be at Raleigh studios here locally. Um, they open it up on Friday night. And so I'm going to get to go there with him and the cast and crew and hopefully a bunch of other people that are going to uh, yes. see this movie and it's going to expose it. You've seen it. Uh, it's fantastic. And we just hope that the good vibes about this movie just keep going. And yeah, I can't wait. If you're here in LA, you should actually go and check it out. We'll put a link to it on the Facebook page or yes, something so absolutely. that people can find it. Absolutely. Yes. Go, go see this movie. It is an open door. It's not just private v- RSVP yeah. only. Uh, no, no, it's it's absolutely open door, and, that, okay. and that's that's the whole film festival thing. So hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, you get a chance to to go, and if not, uh, we'll definitely tell you when it's available for VOD, so you can check it out because it's a really good movie. It is fantastic. One other thing I did this weekend. Oh, okay. So I talked about it last weekend because Blade Runner twenty forty nine is coming out next weekend. Mm-hmm. I decided that I want to go back and watch Blade Runner again. Okay. So I went back and watched Blade Runner this weekend. 
we're going to have to talk about that next week. Next week's show is going to be all about Blade Runner, I have a feeling. Ooh, okay. That didn't sound very good. That's all I'll say. That's <laughs> okay. all I'll say. And I'm a big sci-fi geek, but uh, I might have some issues with Blade Runner, Uh-oh. the original, after watching it some... 30 years later, not that the last time I watched was 30 years ago, but... You realize you're you're treading into geek heresy. Yes, I, yes, I am. And and again, you need to watch it this week, too, so, so we can really fully. chat about it. Yep. We're going to go see it on Monday morning next week so we can talk about it fresh off seeing it on the next week's show. So there you go. Well, in other news, apparently Fox has signed on to spend $1 billion. What? Yes, Fox has approved James Cameron's $1 billion budget for all of his sequels to Avatar because he's James Cameron, explorer of the deep yes, piles sir. of cash. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, a billion dollar check he got written for all of these films. Globally, it's going to make twice, if not three times that. <laughs> Over the next 10 years. Yeah. Jesus Christ. What a franchise that thing is going to turn into. Can you imagine 10 years from now on the we've got the anthology or whatever it is almost like aliens you've got the alien quadrilogy kind of thing going on but by then there won't be like a physical box you can buy anymore you'll right. just like own the the like the thinking rights well, for by it. then you just double tap your temple <laughs> exactly, and go play exactly play play avatar 3 i own the idea of having it and they're like okay great hit that on your iphone that's not a phone in other movie news jeff johns of dc has now come out and said that all dc films will exist in a connected universe. This is kind of a thing here. So if you don't know who Jeff Johns is, that's Jeff spelled G-off, like G-E-O-F-F. Okay. Right? Jeff Johns is arguably one of the most celebrated comic book writers in the last 20 years. He rebooted Green Lantern. He rebooted The Flash. Um, he's, he's been a DC architect for the comic book side, and now he's also in charge of the, the movie, TV, their cinematic side, right? right. So... He has come out, like you said, and said that all these movies are connected now. The thing about this was there was a time before Jeff Johns was the guy that was the spokesperson, so to speak, where Zack Snyder was the architect of the DC Cinematic Universe. And we know what happened with him, and it's a horrible story. But somehow, I feel like they've done like a bit of a like a marketing like they've almost like gotten ahead of the game like damage control in a way and just kind of said hey remember all that stuff that you didn't like about suicide squad and batman v superman and man of steel we're fixing all of it because justice league is going to be good because we brought in joss whedon and it's going to fix this thing that you didn't like about it and then we've wonder woman was success and we got a wonder woman movie coming out and aquaman's going to actually take place after justice league like they've said all this stuff so so he is now what would be the kevin feige Remember Kevin Feige from the Marvel Universe? So maybe Jeff Johns is the Kevin Feige of the DC Universe, which if there's anybody that should be in charge of all of that and multiple universes, it's that guy. Did you know that Jeff Johns was actually a personal assistant for Richard Donner? No. And that's how he sort of got into this whole world? Because he was a fan, he was a kid from Michigan. That's getting deep into yeah. Hollywood lore. He right was there. a kid from Michigan that loved all the comic book stuff, and he became he he came out to L.A. and he was Richard Donner's personal assistant during I think Lethal Weapon three maybe, and then uh, like Donner of course was the guy that made Superman, and then uh, Donner knew that he was like a comic book writer and somehow got him in touch with the DC guys, and then he just started writing DC comics, and there you go. We could almost do a whole episode on the lore around Richard Donner and the Donner editions yes. and all of that yes. kind of stuff, right? Uh, I've, I've met him, Jeff Johns. He yeah. is the nicest, like most down to earth guy. You know why? He's from Michigan. That's oh, why. Well, what does that have to do with you? Because I'm from you're, Ohio. You're from Ohio. Right there, Midwestern you're, people. Yeah, but Ohio people hate me. Ohio State hates Michigan. Okay, fine. <laughs> 
So Andy Bruce Willis is set to make yet another Die Hard movie. Why? Do we need another Die Hard movie at this point? The last one was garbage. Live free or Die Hard unless we need to make more money on another Die Hard movie. I believe that's the title of the next one. Uh, maybe. He's done Once Upon a Time in Venice with uh, Jason Momoa and John Goodman, which was... You know, listeners, if you haven't watched that, it's actually enjoyable. The comedy duo of those two guys together is fantastic. And Momoa's comedy performance is When brilliant. was the last time Bruce Willis, and I'm a huge Bruce Willis fan, trust yeah. me. When was the last time Bruce Willis made a movie that was actually relevant? Since maybe Sin City, the first one? Can you remember anything since then? Or the, was like, the Red movies were fun? Sure, but like it wasn't like, I don't know. That was more about Helen Mirren than it sure, was anybody Sure, but I mean, else, but. like, man, what is he doing? Like, he doesn't need money anymore. What is he doing? And it's the same director that did the last Len one. Len Wiseman, yeah. why? <laughs> that movie was unwatchable. I'm the biggest diehard fan on the planet, and I turned that movie off 15 minutes in. Oh, we'll see what happens with it. But hey, Jamie Lannister came out this week as well and debunked what Whoa. HBO president said last week where... He proclaimed that in order to avoid leaks, they were going to shoot multiple random endings to the final season of Game of Thrones just so that nothing would get spoiled and you would nobody would know which one they were going to use until you got to the last episode. Right. We talked about this last week, yeah. right? So if that's true, apparently Nikolai Kostorwaldo, Jamie Lannister, says, no, it's not true. There's no way that they would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a day just to make another uh, ending and then another ending and then another ending. And then, like, would they spend a couple of a million dollars just to make alternate endings just to avoid leaks? That seems kind of crazy. Well, you know, HBO always pays their debts. <laughs> Nicely done. Lastly here, we heard that back in the day, there was this chance meeting that one Peter Jackson had. And the only reason that he got it was because Bob Shea from New Line Cinemas was feeling courteous after taking a very bad pitch meeting for a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel <laughs> yeah. that got completely shot down. Right. So because he had time on his schedule now, he decided, yeah, let's see what this Peter Jackson guy has to say about his wizards and hobbitses. Yeah. That right there, folks, is how we got Lord of the Rings. Yeah. If you want an interesting, fun Hollywood lore story, that's how we ended up getting Lord of the Rings. New Line Cinemas in the late 90s was, if you remember, basically in financial ruin. Yeah, the only thing they had was Nightmare on Elm Street. And so some dude comes in and is like, okay, I got this idea for a new Freddy movie. And they're like, Haha, yeah, great. Thank you. And he walks out. And then they're like, oh, I guess we'll see Jackson. Jackson walks in. Uh, I got this uh, wizard script. I got this like presentation piece with Ian McKellen. And they're like, okay, we'll take a look at that. And they're like, oh, I guess we'll make this Lord of the Rings movie. Sure. <laughs> so as a result... I will say, dude who has bad pitch meeting with Bob Shea from New Line Cinema and has a terrible idea for Nightmare on Elm Street, which then created the entire Lord of the Rings universe, gets this week's Stone Cold Salute! I said give me a hell yeah! Thank you, dude who screwed that up. Here, here's to you, Mr. <laughs> bad pitch meeting guy. <laughs> Mr. Bad Pitch Meeting Guy! <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's our show for this week. Want to give a few shout-outs to some other shows that are on the Orbital Jigsaw Network that we think you should check out. As I mentioned before, definitely go check out the Super Nerds UK and their interview with Kate Ashfield, also known as Liz from Shaun of the Dead. Don't forget to listen to our newest members of the Orbital Jigsaw Network, the 410 Gaming Guys. Their show this week is about a Nintendo Switch and whether or not you should get it. I already have one. Here's the thing. 
I want to play PS4 Destiny with those guys, so if you're listening, let's do it. Yes, indeed. Uh, those A couple of those guys are already over 300 lights, so it's it's going to be an awesome thing playing with those guys in the near future. They got me beat. Well, guys, if you like this show and you want to hear more of it, we absolutely want to do some more things like long-form special bonus episodes of movie reviews, like we're going to go see Blade Runner 2049 this weekend. Head on over to patreon.com slash concession stand. Throw a couple of bucks in the tip jar. Sign up for one of our perks to do a Stone Cold salute if you like or you can head over to itunes leave us a review on the itunes store give us your feedback and let us know what you think of the new format of the show you can find us over on twitter at concession stand you can send us an email cs at orbitaljigsaw.com or come find us on facebook just search for concession stand podcast and again don't forget to check out the store orbitaljigsaw.com slash store t-shirts notebooks coffee mugs whatever you can think of it's got the popcorn man logo on it get it well i'm nick howell you can find me over on twitter at data center dude and i'm andy nelson you can find me at andy nelson 76 also on twitter hockey season starts this week Woo! But until next time, we will see you guys next week. Later. Bye. This show is part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. For more episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out. OrbitalJigsaw.com.